I want you to go ahead and grab your Bibles or devices and turn to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. And so Matthew is in the New Testament, the second part of the Bible. And so go ahead, grab your Bibles or devices and turn there. And, uh, and just stick your finger there and just hold on because uh, we have some work to do before we actually get to our text this morning. But as you're turning there, I want to share a story with you. See, our, our passage this morning is about conflict. And so I want to share a story about uh, a personal conflict that uh, me and my wife had. Our very uh, first year of marriage was actually our, one of our first few months of marriage. You see, as newlyweds, uh, we were still getting used to, to living together, being in the house together, sharing, sharing a bedroom together. And our schedules were offset a little bit where she would go to bed earlier than me because she had to wake up earlier. Um, and I would stay up later because I was still finishing up some school work that, that evening. And in this particular evening, she was asleep in bed and I was there studying. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Misty turns over and looks at me. And guys, you, you understand this with her spouse. Sometimes there's a look where you know you're in trouble. There's, there's this look where she's angry. There's something here. And my sweet bride had this look of anger on her face towards me. And I, I just said, is everything okay? And she doesn't say a word. And out of nowhere, she hits me right in the face. Now, I know what you're thinking. My sweet bride, Misty, uh, would never do such a thing. I promise you she did. You can ask her. This is, story is approved by her. Um, but my sweet, innocent bride punched me in the face. Now, being the more mature, patient, loving husband that I, that I am, um, I jumped out of bed and threw my hands up the air and I said, let's go. I was ready to fight. I was angry and I did not know what was going on. And in that moment, she doesn't say a word. She simply rolls back over and is back asleep as if nothing ever happened. Now, I'm full of adrenaline and stuff like that. And eventually I do get back to sleep, but I wake up early the next morning because I'm still angry, um, especially for uh, the uh, getting beat up by my, my bribe. So next morning I am in our, our, our tiny little kitchen and I am doing dishes and she walks up behind me and gives me a kiss um, on the neck and, and gives me a little hug. And I'm like, get off me. And she's like, what is your problem? And I said, this is your problem. And I pointed, I had a black eye where she punched me. And she's like, I didn't do that. She completely denied it altogether. Now, we had a conflict, right? There, there was conflict there that obviously something happened. She was completely asleep, did not do it intentionally. She has never done it before, praise God, and Lord willing will not do it again, um, intentionally or unintentionally. But there was conflict there in our marriage in that moment. We had a handle of how my, my crazy wife slept and, uh, and would take out anger at me for no reason of what was going on there. But all of us deal with conflict, don't we? All of us deal with some conflict in life, and most of us will say that we don't like it. Um, a lot of us admit that we don't know actually how to handle it well. And so the struggle is real for most of us. And our text this morning answers that question of how to handle conflict. But before we get there, there there's some work that we need to do to making sure that we are on the same page. And so let's ask the question of what is 
conflict. We, we need to define the term because in this moment right now, me and you are in conflict because I have my working definition of what conflict is and you have your definition of how you would define conflict. Now we're gonna make this very easy, very simple to resolve this issue because I'm the one preaching and you're listening to me. So I'm gonna define it. I'm just kidding. We're actually gonna use Cambridge Dictionary's definition of conflict and this is how they define it. They said conflict is an active disagreement between people with opposing opinions or principles. It's an active disagreement between people with opposing opinions or principles. See, we're talking about a personal conflict between two people. See, this isn't a, a dispute or disagreement with a, a group, a party or organization. It's, it's between you and another individual. It's between me and, and, and an opposing view, a dis disagreement with somebody else in this moment. And so um, since we have our term of what it means, conflict means, and what we're working with here on the same page, let's ask the second question. Why is there conflict? Why do we have conflict in our lives that we so frequently have to deal with? Uh, well, here's the short answer. It's sin. Sin is the direct result of conflict that we deal with in the world. See, since from Genesis, the beginning, Genesis 3, when sin entered into the world, when Adam and Eve intentionally disobeyed the one thing that God asked them not to do, that's when sin entered into the world. And because of sin, because of that sin that took place, uh, both of us struggle with thinking of ourselves first. So we, we want to put ourselves first above everything else. And we're, we're, that's why we are self-seeking. Rather than naturally seeking to glorify God and praise His name for His creation, we seek to glorify ourselves. We seek to make sure that we are taken care of above others, above God. Essentially, we want to elevate ourselves. We want to esteem ourselves. Think back in Genesis 3. What did the snake tell Adam and Eve? If you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. See, we've made ourselves our, our own gods. We want to esteem, we want to be in control. We want to hold these things. And when we function and walk in this manner is when we have conflict with one another. And it is when we walk in this way. It is when we are attempting to be self-reliant, self-sustaining, self-focused, self-glorifying. When we fail, because we will eventually fail that's when we enter into the cycle of guilt and shame. And guilt and shame usually leads us back to more sin rather than turning ourselves towards God. We turn again inwardly towards ourselves and it's this cycle and being told the lies that we're not good enough. We're not worthy of love. We're not worthy of being forgiven. It's lies of the devil. It's lies of the sin that's rooted in each of us. But 1 John 4, 8 reminds us, God is love. You see, God knows nothing else. It is within himself that he is not just the embodiment of love. He is not just the, the attribute, the, the action of love. He is love himself. And it is because that God loved us first. See, 1 John 4, 10 says, God loves us and sent his son, Jesus, to be the propitiation of our sins. Meaning that big word means that he paid the cost of our sin on the cross to restore, to, to 
deal with the conflict of sin that separated us away from a holy God. And it is through the accepting of God's gift, as the accepting as Jesus' death and sacrifice on the cross, that we are no longer bound or slaves to our sin, but, and no longer bind to the lies of the devil or sin, but we get to rest in the knowledge that we are loved and have been forgiven. See, that's what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Um, and there may be some of you today watching and say, Josh, I wanna know more about this. And this is what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you to, to grab your cell phone. This is the easiest way to get hold of us is to grab your cell phone and text the word changing to 94000. Again, that's changing to 94000. That's the, not the only way to get hold of us, but it is the easiest way. If you wanna email us, go to our website, get the information, reach out to us. But again, we wanna answer any questions that you may have about having a personal relationship with Jesus. We don't want there to be any hesitation, any question. We want as many people as possible to know what it means to experience the love and forgiveness of God. So please don't hesitate, reach out to us. We are here to answer any questions that you may have to help you in that journey. Now, back to the question of why there is conflict. Again, the short answer is sin, but here there's another aspect of that question, why? Why should you and I address conflict? Isn't it easier just to avoid it? Isn't it easier just to ignore and pretend conflict doesn't exist? Now let's, let's have an honest chat with ourselves for a minute. No one likes conflict. If you, if you say you like conflict, I love you, there's something wrong. You know, because conflict is, is not fun, conflict is not good. Uh, and so there, there may be something wrong going on with your mind uh, if you enjoy conflict. And so we need to have a talk and have a conversation. Because most of us do not like conflict and we don't like to handle it. So what do we naturally do? We avoid it. We avoid conflict and try to ignore it. You know, we either handle it in two different ways. We either ignore altogether, and let's be honest, we really don't. You can't truly ignore conflict. So let me give you an example. Think of someone, a, a coworker, a, a family member, a friend, a child, a spouse, whoever, and that person lies to you. Now, it's not a big lie right? It's just a small little lie, something, something petty, right? And, and, and you excuse it. You say, I'm sure it was only just this one time. It, it, it doesn't really happen. Or we could use the churchy words. We, we give them grace um, because we're just going to let it slide and not be that big of a deal. But as that relationship begins, it, this doubt begins to form. And so when they, they start to say things and do things, we begin to question because of this lie, this sin that was in our lives. And it begins to, to nag at us and, and it grows and, and develops into suspicion and, and really lack of trust forms between the relationship you with this person until we either blow up at them and just lose our mind and yell at them over typically nothing. Or if it's a relationship that we can cut off out completely and which completely remove them from our lives. See, we never truly ignore that conflict. We just allow it to, to seep inside of us and eat away at us. Or the other option of, of dealing with conflict is that we just bulldoze over people. You know, we, we have the attitude, my way or the highway. And so there's no conflict as long as people follow my way. And so let me give you a very uh, probably common example. Um, have you ever cooked with relatives during the holidays? 
when you're there and, and you're, you're there cooking and helping them cook and, uh, and you, you know, you know the reality, you better follow Aunt So-and-so or Grandpa, you know, this recipe um, to a T and it to be exact um, or you're going to hear about it, right? It, it wasn't good enough. It wasn't that. Um, you better follow how they do it. It's their way or the highway. And that's how they deal with conflict. But either way of avoiding conflict, this is not walking in love for others, you see, but it's actually having a higher love for ourselves rather than what God calls us to love others. You see, when we address conflict and when we don't avoid it, it should be an act of love towards that person. And see, 1 John 4, 19 through 21 says this, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, as followers of Jesus, we... When we say that we love God and that his love abides in us, we are called to be vessels of that love towards others. Consider Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. You see, Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And we are to look to serve others. We are to look through love. We are to look for their interests in mind. See, as parents and guardians, we, we grasp this concept very easily. See, we don't let our children go in harm's way. We, we don't let them go play in traffic. We don't let them go near the hot stove or oven. See, when a child goes towards this road or when they go towards this danger, we, we correct them, don't we? We, we protect them, we, we shield them, we ask them to stay back. And then when they do disobey and they do go in there, we handle that conflict between the parent and the child through consequences and discipline. You see, when a parent or guardian does that with a child is, is an act of love, not an act of frustration, not an act of anger, but it's an act of love trying to protect the person. And when we address conflict and when we handle conflict, and especially in our passage when it talks about dealing with sin, it is an act of love. You see, it's not that we're begrudgingly going to this person out of anger and pointing the finger at them. No, we are going to them saying, I love you and I care for you. And I care for you enough to call this out and wanting to realign and, and redirect you back towards Jesus. See, again, we are... And addressing conflict, we are protecting that person. And we are trying to keep them from living and pursuing sin. It's their best interest in mind. And so our text this morning uh, gives us a clear biblical and timeless steps that guide us of how we are to handle conflict with others. Because again, this is, is a personal conflict between two people. So read along with me. Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. 
But if he does not listen to you, uh, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them for, by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. See, the first step in addressing a handling conflict is that you go to the person one-on-one. And again, this is not an action of in this entire process you need to keep in mind is done under the umbrella of love. See, you go to them because you love them. You go to them because there already is a relationship between you two. And you go to them out of concern. See, you're assuming the absolute best about them in this scenario. See, as Philippians 2.3 says, in humility we go to them. In humility we are thinking of their best interest in mind. So we're not going in attack mode. We're not going there, but we're going and asking for clarity. You're going to say, hey, I see this in your life. Or, hey, you spoke to me in this manner. You said these words to me and it was offensive. And it was hurtful. And I want to handle it and address this and make sure that we are, we're good and we're on the same place. So you're asking them about it. You're, you're wanting to express your concern about the possible sin in their lives wanting to understand it and wanting to truly reconcile the conflict, reconcile the relationship, making sure that you guys are once again on the same page and together in this. Now, when this happens, and more often than that, when you go and lovingly go to somebody and call them on their actions or whatever may be happening, um, in humility, a lot of times they'll confess. And they'll recognize it and they'll see because they see your approach is actually out of love and out of concern for them. And so if they confess and admit and, and they seek forgiveness, praise God. They, they are moving towards reconciling this conflict and that is an amazing thing. So praise God for that and then move on together. And see, the verse after our passage talks how often we should forgive somebody. And we're not, we don't have time to be able to get into that this morning. But here's the reality is that we are to continue to forgive them. See, in this moment where the hurt may arise back up from past hurts and pains or sin and conflict issues with people, when those arise, we're to continue to forgive them. Not bringing them back up and rehashing something that's already been dealt with. But if it has been dealt with and reconciliation has taken place, forgiveness has been asked of, then forgive them and move on and look for ways that you can build on each other's your relationship with one another. But verse 16 gives us a second step in handling conflict because sometimes it doesn't end there. Sometimes there, there is too much um, of an issue taking place. And sometimes one or other party are blind to things or are not handling it well. And we need to have the company of godly wisdom invited into it. So look at me with verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. See, the second step of handling conflict is to invite one or two people to speak wisdom and truth into the issue. 
See, adding others to the conversation gains perspective for both sides. Maybe you're not seeing something. Maybe you misunderstood a sin issue. Maybe it isn't actually sin. And maybe it's just differing opinions and differing viewpoints. But it also brings, and it brings clarity, these, these misconceptions and misunderstandings. See, when one person addresses the sin issue, there could be a misunderstanding. But here's the also reality of it. One, there may be a misunderstanding, but when there is two or three people who see the exact same thing taking place in our lives or in another person's lives, um, it may be time to humbly accept, consider the reality. It may be fact that these people who are coming to me in love, who are coming to me and pointing this out to me, that there may be some truth to what they're saying. You see, as the person, as you're going to them and, and hoping for them to turn for this, this helps, helps them process this more. Again, you're, you're going under the umbrella of love to share this with a person, wanting them to turn away from their sin and turn back towards pursuit of Jesus. And again, it is in these situations where it happens so often that that's where it ends. They do see it. They do want to move on. And again, you forgive them and you move on together when reconciliation has taken place. Now, the next two steps, the third and fourth step that we see in our passage here today um, is only possible for those who are involved in a part of the local church, the, the local congregation together. You see, as members here at First Southern Scottsdale, we are under mutual accountability with, with one another. See, being part of the local church should mean that we as an individual are more like Jesus as a result of being part of this group of believers. See, the, the gathering together in worship, that the fellowship with one another, the, the sitting under and learning from the, the preaching and teaching of God's word. When we are in this environment together, and when I sin, not, not if, but when I sin or when you sin, isn't the most loving thing we can do is have those around us who truly are our family to remind us about our pursuit of Jesus and to call us to repentance? See, that when we are in sin and we, we are actively and engaging and living in sin, we're, we're, we're moving away from our pursuit of God. And when someone corrects us and someone calls us out and, and has this conversation with us, they're bringing us back towards alignment with Jesus. This is such a loving and gracious thing to do um, that we should be involved in more to encourage people to be more like Jesus. But again, when this fails to happen, because often it does in the church and the body of believers, are we truly loving each other? Can you truly say you love somebody, allowing them to live in sin, allowing them to still walk on the path of destruction? Because that's what sin is. But we are called to graciously and humbly and lovingly call them back to Jesus. That's what it means to have love and compassion for another. That's what it means to have and be part of the local body of the church. You see, it is this heart, it is this pursuit, this mindset is what separates the church from the local country club. Because let's be honest, country clubs have missions and, and directions together too. They, you come together and you can hang out with people and, and it may be to golf, to enjoy good food or do activities together, but that is where it ends. See, what separates the church from a country club is the mutual accountability in pursuing righteousness found only in Jesus. 
That's what helps us to be a church. That is what sets us apart, is that we are in this journey together, encouraging and pushing people to be more like Jesus. But there is times that it needs to be brought to the church and into the church leadership. And in our setting, that's the elders here at First Southern Scottsdale. And if they come to the church leadership and it's still refuse to turn, refuse to confess and admit the sin and repent and turn away from it. Um, we have to follow what scripture says in verse 17. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. We, we treat them as an unbeliever and, and not a Christian, no longer part of the fellowship within the local church. And at first glance, doesn't this seem harsh? Doesn't this seem unloving that we're going to kick somebody out and move them away from us? It does. But here's the reality is, what are we called to do and how are we called to to treat and act towards non-believers and non-Christians? We're to love them all the more. See, the Bible tells us that we are to love them and look for ways to serve them, to be kind to them, to create opportunities to share the love of Jesus with them because we desire them to come to salvation. It is the same exact way with this unrepentant believer. See, we go to them and we love them. We look for ways to serve them, to be kind for them, to help them recognize that they are still, their pursuit of sin is, is separating them away from the fellowship with other believers. And, and separating them and helping them to walk away from not pursuing righteousness with Jesus. But as we love them and as we serve them, as we seek for opportunities to remind them of the good news of the gospel, Lord willing, their heart softens and God allows their heart to be softened and they do repent and they're brought back into fellowship with the church and rightness them together. Where again, where you have that mutual accountability to pursue Jesus all together. We are called to love people well. This is what we want to do. See, conflict is a difficult thing, but it is something that must be handled according to God's word. Uh, There's the saying that you can either handle conflict or conflict can handle you. But Jesus affirms us that God is with us during these times. See, calling us to lovingly help those who we are in fellowship with to be called out of their sins, to point them back to Jesus. That is the most loving thing that you can do for me, that I can do for you, and that you can do for others within our church, is to point them back to Jesus. So let us be a church that loves others well and is willing to have the difficult conversations and handle the conflict for our good and for God's glory. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much Father, it's, it's scary to, to think about handling conflict. It's difficult to want to have to even process handling this or dealing with this. But Father, I pray that you will encourage us this morning to pursue uh, righteousness together. Father, that we'll sit under mutual accountability with one another and call each other to repentance where that is needed, to address conflict where it is needed. Father, not to pursue conflict, Father, but to, to handle it properly and godly. Father, help us to love each other well and help us to glorify and honor you. We ask this in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.